<laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm attempting to do this on Facebook Live. Surprise, Facebook Live friends, I decided to do this. I decided to put my message on. So, hope you enjoy it, and um, I just wanted to say, we ha I've had such a good time already. I came a day early on purpose so I could spend some extra time with Pastor Mike and Marie, just relationship, and um, just, it, it's just been so much fun. Now, I'm going to go back to the hotel, and now I'm going to go to the hotel tonight, and Nicole and I will laugh from the time we get there till the time we go to bed, most likely. <laughs> we both love to laugh because we both have quite a story, and God has just helped us so much. We're just so happy and so grateful. And um, I'm not even going to talk about my book or audio book until the end because I'm just going to wait. But um, I want to tell you something, Nicole. A lady back there told me, I'm not going to say her name, told me that um, regarding your message that Nicole just gave a wonderful message to my, for my Facebook Live friends that are watching and uh, she, didn't, she didn't want that to be on. She chose for that not to be online, but she gave a really wonderful message just now. And a lady back there said she's under heavy, heavy accusation right now. Lies being told about her. She's actually got to quit work on Monday because of it. And um, God's going to work it all together for good. But I mean, what you said helped her so much, so much. And so I just wanted to tell you that. I was excited. See? Nicole and I talk about, and I believe this is the heart of Jesus. If we came all the way to Ohio and one person has their eyes set on Jesus, it's worth it. It's worth it. That's the heart of Jesus. He was for the one and for the two here and for the three here, you know. And so I believe more people than that will have their eyes set on Jesus. But even if it was just one person, it's totally worth it. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for this opportunity. So much, God. You know my desire is simply to point people to your precious son, Jesus. And I thank you for helping me unveil the beauty of Jesus right now in Jesus name. Amen. The title of my message, I'm actually I've never done this before, but I'm going to I'm going to part I'm going to teach a three-part series here. And so this is the first part and it's titled How can you know if you're believing the good news? So I just want to start and so this is part 1 and I don't want to do too much walking to get out if I do get out of the you can just tell me because I do like to walk. But um, I just wanted, I just felt like I was supposed to get this recorded. So that's why I'm doing that. I just felt like the Holy Spirit led me to do, to record. But I wanted to um, just share my story, a little bit of my story. I know I was here last April and shared it. But I'm just going to you know, kind of quickly give you a quick synopsis of my story. I was born again at the age of eight. I still remember sitting in my living room floor with my mom and my sister and brother. My other brother wasn't born yet. And receiving Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I still remember it just like it was yesterday. And um, just right from the beginning, after receiving Jesus as my Savior, I was just like, I love you so much, God. I want to do this right. Like, I want to live the Christian life right. Nobody taught me, you know, like to make it all about rules and stuff. I just... Maybe my, well, I don't think, just maybe, I think for sure, is at least partly my personality, melancholy personality, rule-oriented, legalistic. I was very legalistic, which is why I like to laugh a lot now. And um, so I just 
went into living my Christian life, even from the age of eight, although it got worse as I got older, under the, really what I was doing was I was living under the old covenant of law, but I didn't know it. I didn't know that's what I was doing. And I didn't know there was a new covenant called the new covenant of grace <laughs> till 42 years later. So for the next 30 or 34 years later, excuse me, when I was age 42 is when God set me free. But for 34 years, I proceeded to live the Christian life by my own works, by my own efforts. And what that did is left me anxious and frustrated. I literally did try until I almost died. I mean, I was about to quit Christianity when God revealed a revelation of his love for me. So what I would do is I would get up on my, what I call my treadmill of accomplishment every day because I, and I mean, yes, I believe I still did this even when I was little, but as I got older, I can just see it so clearly. I'm, I'm a very bubbly person. I'm a very energetic person. I was up. Oh, by the way, oh, I've got to stop and do this. Okay, I am sorry. This is, I know I'm in the middle of my story, but this book is in Pastor Mike and Marie's bathroom. It's called The Bathroom Joke Book. And I am telling you what, last night, I am not kidding, last night, I was up, I, I'm very energetic, so I was up after midnight, and I was in my bed, their, you know, their bedroom that they're letting me use, and um, I was reading some of these jokes, and, and their bedroom right next to mine, and I am trying to be quiet. I was laughing so hard. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to wake them up. So I just, I have to read you this. I'm going to read one joke before every teaching, okay? A woman, and I'm not, I don't know, you know, I haven't read all the jokes in this book, but I'm just telling you, I'm going to buy one of these because there are some definitely good ones. A woman comes home one day and says to her hubby, dear, the car won't start, but I know what the problem is. There's water in the carburetor. The husband responds, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but you wouldn't know the difference between a carburetor and a tailpipe. The wife insists, there's definitely water in the carburetor. Finally, the husband says, okay, dear, I'll take a look at it. Where is it? In the lake. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why, but I was just laughing so hard last night. I thought, if I read that and laugh this hard tomorrow, I might not teach. I might just laugh the entire time, because when you get me laughing, I am telling you what. <laughs> so back to my story. So I'm so far from the person that I'm about to explain, explain to you how I was. I'm so far from that now, which is why I'm a very, very grateful person to God for what he's done in my life. And um, it, so I would get up on my treadmill of accomplishment because I'm bubbly, I'm energetic, like I just explained. Every day I'd be like, rah, like inside, rah, rah, rah. I'm a spiritual cheerleader. I'm going to do this Christian life right and make God proud of me. I want him to be pleased with me. Do you know how many Christians there are out there? I'm talking people who have been Christians for decades that still believe if I don't do this or that, God's going to be disappointed with me. They're believing lies. And I was believing so many lies about God. Really, I saw him, and this, I believe, was at the base of all my problems. I saw him as someone who was just standing over me, just, just ready to beat me over the head, or at the very least, highly disappointed with me every time I made a mistake. You know how often we make mistakes? <laughs> I mean, 
We're not perfect in the natural, right? We are actually flawless in Christ. I have a scripture I'm going to read you. But in the natural, we still do things wrong. We still make mistakes. We still sin. And even though we're not sinners, we are saints. Sinners are not our identity, but we still do sin sometimes. So if we think God is disappointed with us every time we do that, we're going to be on a hamster wheel our entire Christian life. And that's what I was doing. So I, I got up on that treadmill every day with the thought in mind, I'm going to just run on this treadmill. I didn't know what I was doing, but what I was doing was I was running on that treadmill for worth and value. I, I did not know how to get my worth and value out of anything except for what I accomplished. And so I needed to, I, this is what it looked like. I had my spiritual checklist on one side over here. Always in my mind, my spiritual checklist. I need to be less angry than I was yesterday. Okay, I did that. And I, always measuring myself. Oh my gosh, I measured myself so much. And, um, oh, okay, I, yeah, I made that mistake. I got to get better in that area. Okay, that's, that's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on that today. And then my natural checklist of, you know, be a good wife, um, be a good mother, and just my natural checklist of jobs that I wanted to do because. I loved lists, and there is nothing wrong with lists, but I was, I was out of bounds with lists. Like, if I got the check mark, that made me feel good. That made me feel like I was accomplished, like I was worth something. And so I would work. I mean, I spent my whole life just working for the next 34 years, and it just caused me to be so stressed out. I was mad at myself almost all the time. I didn't take the anger out on my family a lot, but they definitely, I mean, when you're in the house with somebody who's explosive, that's no fun. That's no fun. And I did bury my family under rules and regulations. I mean, I have twin girls now that are 16, but when God freed me, they were nine. And I am telling you right now, they would have hated me. They would have hated me if I would have kept going the way I was. I thank God for showing me the, the light, for showing me the truth. And... They, um, I, w I mean, I would do things like, you know, I have this checklist for them, and not that there's anything even wrong with that, but I mean, I was just so legalistic about it. Like, you have to do everything perfect. I mean, I got a story for you. I, you should see the way we let our girls keep their rooms now. <laughs> and uh, they had to have their faucet wiped off. They had to have, oh, let me tell you, <laughs> it didn't work. The rules didn't work. All it did was put them under pressure. The Bible says the strength of sin is the law. Okay? So actually, and then that's in one of my scriptures for today or one of the messages, actually, when you put some under, someone under all these rules and regulations, it actually backfires on you. And it was backfiring on me big time. I was also making my husband feel like he always came up just a little bit short. That's no fun. But you know why I was doing that? Because I felt like God. That's how I felt like God, my Heavenly Father, felt about me. Like I was always coming up just a little bit short. But I wasn't. He, I mean, he didn't feel that. Even if I was making mistakes, which of course we all do, he didn't feel that about me. He saw me as flawless in his son. And, uh, but... I didn't know it. I believed a lie. And when you believe a lie, I mean, some can, something can be true about you, but when you don't know it, then you're going to believe the opposite, believe a lie, and that affects your whole life. That's why the title of this is, How Can You Know If You're Believing the Good News? 
because what we believe is so, so important. Also, I would read the Bible. Can, do you have a yeah, regular Bible I can use there? Okay, great. <laughs> the biggest. The biggest. Let's make a, let's make a, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, I would read the Bible. I would have daily devotions. And I mean, I did. I had, I had it. I was very disciplined about it. But I didn't do it out of devotion. I did it because I thought God would be mad at me if I didn't all those years. And it's not the way I was taught. It was just I got mixed up and believed lies. And so one of the reasons why I didn't enjoy, I didn't really enjoy reading the Bible is because I wasn't seeing Jesus in the Bible. Jesus is the person of grace. I also have a scripture on that or a quote from Paul Ellis about that. But Jesus, the Bible is, it points to Jesus from beginning to end. When you see it, when you read the Bible through the lens of grace. So what I would do before, though, is I would open up the Bible. And I mean, literally, my whole goal in reading the Bible was, okay, what rule is there in this verse that I can do so I can be pleasing to God? That's like my whole life was centered around that, you know. And uh, now that God's changed me, I've learned to read the Bible through the lens of grace. So I have these... I call them my grace glasses. I really just got them off Amazon. <laughs> and now, I mean, you should see the difference in the way I see the Bible. I have been studying at Pastor Mike and Marie's house, like two hours one day and two hours the next day. I, I could study the Bible all day long now, okay? And, uh, oh, oh, my gosh. I see Jesus in the Bible now. I, I mean, it is just like, wow, it's just come off the page for me. Because I see it through the lens of God's grace, and I see Jesus in the Bible, and I see him as the person of grace. Thank you so much. So that was one of the things I, things I believed wrong. And, um, and I, would just, I would just stress. I was just stressed to the max, you know. I got sick. I got um, really, really sick. And really, I had health problems all along because, you know, stress causes health problems. And there's so much stress in people in the world today. Our, our girls work, I won't tell you which restaurant they work at, but they work at a fast food restaurant. And I am telling you what, they're 16 years old and they have gotten an awakening to what the world is like. Wow. In this particular restaurant, there's probably actually a lot of Christians who actually come through there, but let me tell you what. Wow, they have people cuss them. These are girls that like, they're like nice, sweet girls, right? They have, on a regular ba basis, people cuss them out. My one daughter works the headset taking the orders, and the other daughter works the window taking the money. I mean, they have to have managers involved, and that's not just them, it's other employees as well, but I mean, people are just on edge. Have you noticed? Have you noticed? That's how I was. And so, and even if I didn't always show it on the outside, although many times I did, I threw some pretty royal fits, let me tell you. And uh, I don't know how my husband stayed with me for the first 20 years of our marriage, but he did, and it's only by the grace of God. And so, now we've been married 28 years, though, and he's just really got it good now because I'm changed. <laughs> but uh, I mean, really don't know how he stayed with me, I'm telling you. And so, um, so... Yeah, I would just, I, I was so stressed that I got so sick at the end of 2009. Uh, I remember sitting in the restaurant, uh, in a restaurant with some ladies, with some friends of mine, 
and I got the worst pain I've ever, ever had in my life. I almost fainted in the restroom. They had to rush me to the hospital, and it ended up being a cyst, a cyst on my ovary, and I didn't do anything about it. Like, I was just believing God. I thought I was believing God for that to, you know, just be healed up, doing some natural things, but the cyst grew very quickly to the size of a cantaloupe, and the doctor's recommended that I get that taken out and I still waited because I was believing God or I thought and I'll explain what I mean by that in a minute and uh, so what happened is when I finally did agree to have him do the surgery he accidentally nicked my ureter tube during the surgery that's the tube between your kidney and your bladder and so I got something called hydrophrenosis which it means that that closed up so that uh, was backing up into that kidney. And I mean, in, yeah, into that kidney. That's right. <laughs> and uh, that was backing up and wasn't, I was nauseous. So I was nauseous for like six weeks after the surgery, but I didn't know why. I didn't know what had happened. And thankfully, my husband said, you have to tell the doctor. Because I'm just thinking, I'm just recovering from surgery. It's fine. But I told him, he sent me for tests. He sent me to a urologist who confirmed so they put a stent in there to try to open that up and that um, for two weeks. So our hope was that that will um, heal in the open position, but it didn't work. When I woke up from that procedure, I got some of the worst news I have ever gotten in my life. He said, it didn't work. We, when we took the stent out, we actually couldn't get it back in. Here, your ureter tube. So now we are going to have to put a hole in your back and do a nephrostomy, meaning put a tube in your, through your back and down your kidney and it, you know, through your ureter that way to keep it open. And otherwise I'm gonna lose my kidney, right? And so that was like, oh my gosh. I mean, it was just like, wow, devastating. They did that, that was the worst pain I've ever experienced in my life. That, that first tube, they changed it after about a month or so, but the first tube was sitting on a nerve. I still have, you know, sometimes achiness in that area because of that's where that was, but that was sitting on a nerve and that hurt so bad. I would, I mean, I'm not even a pain medicine taker, not that I'm against it at all, but I'm, I just don't, I guess I have a high pain tolerance too, you know, and uh, I would take pain medicine. It wasn't touching it. I would sit and sob because of the pain. So he did change it, thank God, and we got through that. So the hope there was that they would, they had, they had the tube in there and they had put a stent in from up, you know, through my kidney down through the ureter and ballooned it out. So they were hoping it would heal in the open position. And again, I thought, right, I'm believing you, God, this is gonna happen. Two months later, I was so glad when they took that thing out, <laughs> but two months later, um, they did the procedure, you know, to see if it would, took it out to see if it worked and it closed right back up. I woke up to that news and of course I was greatly disappointed because I mean, I'm like, what am I gonna do here, you know? And then right then, like right after that, I got sepsis. I didn't even get to go home from the hospital. I was so sick, I was vomiting and uh, shaking, just, you know, just shaking with chills. And I remember I was just so sick. I really did not know if I was going to make it out alive. So that happened. And then I did. I did make it out. Thank God. That helped me. But then I had to face a decision. Number one, what was I going to do about the ureter? Number two, 
at that time, we found out that the cysts started growing back. So now I was faced with a double, well, two things. Either I just get a stent in, put a stent in when they're not comfortable, put a stent in and have it changed like every three to six months for the rest of my life, which I did not want to do. I mean, I'm, I'm so young, you know. And, um, or I do a double surgery at this point to get a full hysterectomy, you know, to get to, so I don't have the cyst continuing growing back, and then also to repair that. Thank God he led me to a doctor in Washington University, which is a great um, university in Missouri area, and he did a double surgery, and it did work, and it's held. I have had two different times an infection called pyelonephritis there, but I know now why, and I don't believe it's ever going to happen again, and I just believe I know what to do to stop that. So... Um, but it's, it, it, was, it was rough, but God got me through it. So that has held, but let me tell you what I believed. After this was all over, and I mean, he, and just so you know, when he opened me up, he said the ureter was splurting, like just everywhere, you know. Um, and so just thank God for helping me, you know, for saving my life through that. But let me tell you what I told my husband afterwards. And I didn't even realize that I felt this way about God or believed this way about God until this happened. But I told my husband, I said, I believed God was doing, I believed I was being punished by God with that sickness because of me not being a good enough Christian. That was how wrong my belief system was, you know? And uh, so, but thank God, I definitely don't believe that way about him again. But after that surgery, I was so tired. After I, I got released from the doctor, like November of that year, and I remember in December, right after Christmas one day, because I was between trying to live the Christian life, and really I thought I was living it right. I thought I was doing it right. I'm, okay, I'm not getting over this anger problem. I, oh, I had a terrible anger problem. So I just need to try harder. That's my answer. I just need to try harder. In my mind, I really thought that's what you got to do. You know, if it's not working, you got to try harder. And um, it wasn't the answer, and it wasn't working. And that's where I finally came. That day, a few days after Christmas, I was like, this is not working. Why did it take me 34 years <laughs> to figure that out? I have no idea. But I came to, and this was a very good place to come, to the end of myself that day. I came to the end of my own efforts, and I actually told God, I can't do this anymore, God. I cannot live the Christian life. I need serious help. And that was just a conversation between me and him. I had, didn't say anything to my family. One week later, January 2nd of 2012, best day of my life, I was having my devotional time with God. Like I said, I always did it diligently. At 5.30 in the morning, I have that on my Mac journal. That day, I was asking the Lord, is there anything more you want me to do for you? You know? Because it was the New Year, New Year's resolutions, things like that. Has anybody made any New Year's resolutions that you already feel like you haven't followed through on? Anyone? <laughs> that happens all the time, right? Um, I, I wrote a blog post. I have a, I have a website, and I have a whole bunch of blog posts. And I wrote one recently that said, my one and only New Year's resolution. And it's to keep my eyes on Jesus this year. Because when I keep my eyes on Jesus... 
everything else will follow. That's what I've learned. And I've had so many successful and productive years since I came into a revelation of grace. But anyway, back to that morning, I was, um, I was um, asking God, is there anything more I can do for you? And I just remember distinctly him telling me, no, Sandra, there's nothing more that I need you to do for me. And right then, I felt like the love of God just swept into the I mean, I have never felt anything like that, although that feeling has stayed with me ever since that day. I am like a little kid in knowing God's love for me. But what, what God made clear to me that day is, Sandra, I don't love you for everything you do for me. I love you because you're my daughter, because you're my child. And that is what I needed to hear that's the revelation of his unconditional love that I needed to see to set me free. And so I, was, I literally remember my breathing patterns changing in the days ahead because before it was like, and, and I, it was just like I took this deep breath. My breathing patterns changed. And I was just able to relax in God's love for me, not in feeling like I got to do this, I got to be better, I got to be better, I got to do these things, I got to... I felt, I, now I felt like my worth and value is in the fact that God loves me. That's why I'm worth something. That's why I'm valuable. And the most miraculous thing happened. The next morning, I got up, and the treadmill was gone. I mean, I did not feel the need to run on a treadmill for worth and value anymore. It was gone. And it was because of the revelation that God was showing me of his love and his grace toward me. And so I just, I just kept going in that mode. What happened is I just started responding. Like I always respond to life freaked out most of the time. I mean, I was just, almost everything freaked me out, right? If it wasn't going my way, I was big control mode thing, you know. And um, I wasn't responding that way after that. I responded in peace. Like same types of things would happen, but I'd be like, like, why am, I not, why am I not freaking out, you know? I wasn't freaking out. I, was, I had this just love of God, just this revelation. And I was just like, wow, God was changing me. But I still was like, it took me a couple days to go, really almost a month to go, okay, you, you've done something in my life. You've changed me forever, God. So I told my family. About a month later, I went to them, and I was crying. God was showing me what I had done to my family. He was showing me the lies that I, he was beginning to show me the lies that I was believing. And um, I went to my family in tears. And I said, I'm sorry for what I've done to you. God has changed me. I'm different. In fact, let me read to you. I devoted my book to them. I said to my husband, Steve, and my twin girls, Angel and Star, thank you for loving and forgiving me and letting us start over again as a family. I love you. And we, we have. We have started over again as a family. And I have been perfect. I've never done one thing wrong since that day. <laughs> wrong! <laughs> but let me tell you, I've got a, a, such a good news message to share because God's grace is not based on our perfection. God's grace is his unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. And when we receive it, it gives us the power to live the right way, 
It gives us the power. I guarantee you that I am so much more obedient now than I ever was before, trying to live the Christian life, living it the way I am now. I've lived so much more of a holy life than I did before, and it's by God's grace. I don't even want to, like, I don't even, I'm not even tempted to take credit for it because I know I couldn't do it. I failed all those years that I tried, but when I put my trust in his grace, that's when things started changing. Do you know what time I started, Pastor Mike? I want to make sure. Oh, I got, oh, I started at 11.15, really? Whoa, okay. Um, okay, so then I'm going to go to this. It's okay, no big deal. Um, I'm going to go to this set of scriptures that um, John's going to put up there, Galatians 3. And um, when I tell my story, I usually do go into detail, even though I say I'm going to be fast. But that's okay, my story's important. And by the way, um, some times my girls used to travel with us and travel with me and work the book table and they said they'd hear people say oh yeah she told her story so I don't need this this book has so much more than what I just told like it has the freedom that I've walked in now and how I came into that freedom in the years you know after that happened so um so just so you know that okay so trust in Christ not the law so here this this um chapter of the bible God used it to absolutely set me free. After I came into a revelation of grace and he was showing me God's grace, showing me, you know, how much he loved me and just showing me how much I had lived by my own works and tried to uphold my own Christian life by my own works. I remember reading this. I don't know. I, even, I don't even know how I knew to read Galatians 3. It had to be God. He led me to it. And I, would, I sobbed. I mean, I absolutely sobbed reading this one day when he was opening my eyes. So, trust in Christ, not the law. I'm going to read it in the message, and they're going to have this up there. You crazy Galatians, did someone put a hex on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened, for it's obvious that you no longer have the crucified Jesus in clear focus in your lives. His sacrifice on the cross was certainly set before you clearly enough. Well, let me tell you, I, didn't, I hardly ever thought about Jesus. I know that sounds so weird because I was trying so hard to live the Christian life. I was not thinking about Jesus and what he did for me. I was thinking about what I needed to do for him. Sandra McCullum, what you need to do, keep working for God so he can be pleased with you. That's it. My eyes were totally on myself. I was so self-focused. And that kept me in bondage. So it says... Um, his sacrifice on the cross was certainly set before you clearly enough. Let me put this question to you. How did your new life begin? So let me put that question to you right now. How did your new life begin? How were you born again? How were you? Okay. Was it by working your heads off to please God? Or was it by responding to God's message to you? We know it was just by saying yes to Jesus, right? That's how we came into a relationship with Jesus, into receiving salvation. Are you going to continue this craziness for only crazy people would think they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God? And see, that's what I did. I received salvation by grace when I was eight years old, but I immediately went into trying to uphold myself in my Christian life by my own efforts instead of living my Christian life by allowing the life of Christ to flow in me and through me 
And that is how I live it now, and it's such a restful way to live. Okay? Are you, so um, down here, if you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose you could perfect it? Answer this question. Does the God who lavishly provides you with his own presence, his Holy Spirit, working things in your lives you could never do for yourselves, does he do these things because of your strenuous moral striving or because you trust him to do them in you? Well, I wasn't trusting him. That's why I was anxious and frustrated. I wasn't trusting Jesus. I was trusting Sandra McCullum. Don't these things happen among you just as they happen with Abraham? He believed God, and the act of belief was turned into a life that was right with God. That's the grace life. When I read that statement yesterday, that verse yesterday, said he believed God, Abraham believed God, and the act of belief was turned into a life that was right with God. Remember how I told you? I'm way more obedient now. I live a much holier lifestyle now. It's because I live the grace life, and it's God working in and through me. That's the only reason. It's not because I've gotten it all right, because I've figured out how to conquer it. It's because I already know Jesus won the victory for me, and I'm living in that. Okay, we're gonna, we got lots of good scriptures I'll be sharing in my other messages as well. Is it not obvious to you that persons who put their trust in Christ, not persons who put their trust in the law, are like Abraham, children of faith? So those now who live by faith are blessed along with Abraham who lived by faith. This is no new doctrine. And that means that anyone who tries to live by his own effort, independent of God, is doomed to failure. That's why I felt like a failure most of the time. I was living as if I was under the old covenant of law when really Jesus came to make all things new. But I didn't understand it. Okay? Verse 11, the obvious impossibility of carrying out such a moral program should make it plain that no one can sustain a relationship with God that way. The person who lives in right relationship with God does it, listen to this, by trying harder? Does it by embracing what God arranges for him, by receiving what Jesus finished through his death, burial, and resurrection? Doing things for God is the opposite of entering into what God does for you. Habakkuk had it right. The person who believes God is set right by God, and that's the real life. Rule-keeping does not, or living under the law, does not naturally evolve into living by faith, but only perpetuates itself in more and more rule-keeping. In fact, observed in Scripture, the effect observed in Scripture, the one who does these things, rule-keeping, continues to live by them. I was in such a trap because I was only looking to myself and not to Jesus, and I wasn't receiving his grace. Now I've learned to put my faith, not in my own efforts, but in the grace of God. I'm talking about everyday life situations. I'll be telling you stories, okay? Stick around. <laughs> Verse 13 and 14, and then I'll be done. I'm going to read one more quote after that, and then I'll be done. Christ, oh, this is the best part. I love this. Christ redeemed us from that self-defeating, cursed life by absorbing it completely into himself. Do you remember the scripture that says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree? That is what happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross. He became a curse, and at the same time, he dissolved the curse. 
And now because of him, because of that, the air is cleared. And we can see that Abraham's blessing is present and available for non-Jews too. We are all able to receive God's life, his spirit, in and with us by believing. Just the way Abraham received it. It's not by our works. It's actually by believing. That is our work, to believe. That's it. That's, that's, it's our work to believe in what Jesus has done. Okay, I'll be reading you some scriptures, I mean some uh, quotes from Paul Ellis throughout this series. It's a little bit based, adapted from something he did in a book of his called The Gospel in Ten Words. So if you want to get that book, I highly recommend it. At the end of that book, he has something that really helped me the first year of my grace journey. I was like, okay, how do I know if I'm hearing the good news? How do I know if I'm believing the good news? How do I know if this is the good news? You know, whatever I'm hearing, believing, reading, you know. And he, in the back of that, he has a test for your gospel or a test for the gospel or something like that. And he just names all kinds of ways that you can know if you're hearing the good news or the bad news. And do you know what? There is no bad news in the good news. If you're really truly hearing the good news, there's no bad news in the good news, just so you know. But here's what Paul says. A counterfeit gospel is what you have when someone tells you God won't accept you or bless you unless you first do something for him. Walk down that Nathan road of man-made religion and you will be told that for a reasonable price, you can become holy, righteous, and pleasing to God. But that's not the truth, right? The truth is, Jesus did it all. And that is my favorite statement. Now my eyes are so fixed on Jesus and the fact that he completed the work. He did it all. And now I get to allow him to live his life through me every single day in every situation. And when I don't and when I fail, which I do, there is no condemnation. No condemnation. If, I could, if we could get you to believe anything and come into any truth, while we're here, it would be to just come to know how fruitless guilt and condemnation is. It is total, complete waste of your time. And in addition to that, it's dishonoring Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. We'll talk more about that the next time. God bless. Have a good lunch. Amen.